welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Seeking God's will seems like a frustrating scavenger hunt at times. We wish God would just plainly and directly tell us his plans, but would we be ready to hear them? And would we be ready to obey? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, Hearing God in a Noisy World, with part one of this message entitled, Guidelines to Guidance, which covers Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Thank you for joining us today. Were I to uh, take an opinion poll and uh, ask you, how many of you think that a Christian can find God's will, and I'm not talking about that which is in Scripture, but as we're deciding, do we take a transfer, do we buy a home, do we, is this the right person to marry, all the issues and decisions that we make that Scripture would never address. How many of you would believe that you could make such decisions with great clarity and certainty? Were I to make that a, an opinion poll question and receive the answers, I bet we'd have quite a divided response to that. In fact, I thought of a few questions that, uh, that just uh, are thoughts that, that probably summarize our thinking. Uh, one, God has a will for us. Most would say, of course, I believe that. A second thought is that God wants us to know his will. Most would say, I think so. And number three, God makes his will very clear to his people. Most all would go, probably so. And then we'd say, well, it's very, very difficult to discover that will. And many would say, I think I agree. Now, we've taken for granted the answers to the first questions. I think there's a lot of misinformation in those questions. I think if we really understand this subject matter, we may not answer those questions like it would appear obvious for a Christian to answer. Now, the question, does God have a will? Oh, absolutely. God's will, he has decreed all things that come to pass, so his will is inclusive of everything. No question about it. But when we come to those next questions, uh, maybe there's some different thinking we ought to consider. Uh, Does... God make his will known to his people? Not necessarily. Depends on what we mean by will. I mean, what he wills to do in life. Do we have a reveal of that so that we know? Not necessarily. How about what he reveals and what he wants for us, his will regarding the direction that we take in life, now I would say, oh, I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. I want you to consider a few, uh, a few other questions. Let me, uh, let me put it this way. If you were to ask the question, does God want us to know his will? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. There are things he does not want us to know. In fact, listen to Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things belong to us. Another text in Proverbs 25 says, it's the glory of the Lord to conceal things. So we need to begin thinking, well, now wait. I guess we can't really know the will of God in all things, can we? No, 
But we're talking about direction in life, direction for us, decisions we need to make. There, I want to suggest, yes, we can know his will. So if asked the question, is it difficult to know his will? In regard to direction, no. In regard to his will and his ways and what he chooses to do and who he is and everything about him and everything about us and everything about the, the world in which we live, no, not at all. So if you're hearing me, I want you to understand this, that we are in a series that's speaking virtually totally about finding direction in decisions of life. That's where you and I say, help me. I want to know how do I make decisions and know the will of God? We're going to address that this week and the next two weeks. But before we can do that, we have got to make sure that we understand this whole concept about the will of God much, much, much broader than simply direction. And when we come to other aspects of his will, it's going to be very difficult to understand certain things. Should we search to know everything we can know about God and his will for us in terms of, of mysteries that are unknown for, to us for the most part, we maybe will never understand to eternity? Yeah, we should still be searching. There's something about the search that's very, very, very valuable. So the question is, to discover the will of God, is it, is it more like a hide-and-seek experience? Well, in some respects, it is. If we're talking about the broader aspect of his will being known. Why does God allow a teenager to die? Why does God let little children's heads be taken and slaughtered the way they're being slaughtered in Iraq? Do you understand that? I don't. Is it his ways? Is everything under the decree of God? Oh, yeah. Can we search out and understand and know that? We can search it out, and we get to understand more and more, but will we ever understand the depth of it all? No, not at all. So in order to leave a few truths in our thinking about this broader umbrella of the will of God and the search for it, I want to show you a brief film. It's like the films that we've been watching in the past. We're going to look over the next series coming up. You're going to hear, see more of these. But this is, uh, uh, this is a film called Reveal. This little short film, uh, you should be uh, grateful. There are people in this church that have done it. Uh, the uh, the uh, uh, essence creator and owner and the, the one who actually wrote and then uh, produced and directed this film comes out of your church I think it's going to mean a lot to you when you watch it keep in mind we're thinking about the will of God is it a hide-and-seek experience maybe it is give your attention to the screen do you ever wish your relationship with God came with a built-in search engine God goal <laughs> oh you know what I'm saying though, right? I mean, I love it when I have those moments where God just seems to strike me like lightning. I, I remember camping this one time and I woke up to the most beautiful mountain sunrise I'd ever seen before and I just 
knew something about God that I hadn't known. But you know, those moments are so frustratingly few and far between and, and held together by all the times where something happens in my life that just doesn't make sense or, or when I have a decision to make and I just have no idea what God wants me to do. When I was a little girl, my dad used to do a lot of traveling for work. I'm sure most of the time he was only ever gone a few days at a time, but to my young mind, it seemed like an eternity. Sometimes it even made me angry. Yeah, he was my dad. He was supposed to be at home with me to play with me and read me stories and tuck me in at night. Not so unlike how I want my relationship with God to feel. There's a verse in Proverbs I think about when I feel like God's off on business somewhere. It says, it is the glory of God to conceal things. It sounds strange at first, doesn't it? And maybe even cruel that God would be glorified by concealing things, hiding things from us. I remember when my dad was away on those trips. My mom would sit and read with me or try to tell stories like the ones my dad told. Sometimes on longer trips, she'd surprise us with a letter from my dad that had arrived in the mail. But what I mainly remember were the times that my dad would leave a note hidden somewhere in the house for my sister or me to find. Sometimes the notes were just sweet little letters to us, but other times, the best times, they were clues. Clues to a scavenger hunt that would take us all around the house looking for little presents or additional clues. Right after that verse that says it's the glory of God to conceal things, it says it is the glory of kings to seek them out. God says it, it brings me glory to hide things and you glory when you go looking for them. Like a divine game of hide and seek. <laughs> My first reaction is to be so frustrated when God's answers aren't immediately obvious to me. But God says, I choose to reveal things to you at certain times and hide them from you at others because I want you to search me out. I want you to learn things about me that you would never know unless you go looking for them. Paul talks about the secret wisdom of God, wisdom that was hidden and destined for our glory before time began. <laughs> At first, I didn't know what to make of those clues. In fact, if it wasn't for my sister's enthusiasm, I may have just stayed in my room and pouted and missed the joy of the discovery completely. 
But eventually, I started to relish those notes and the games he would leave behind for us. I wouldn't have known how to say it at the time, but even while my dad was gone, he was showing me how much he loved me. <laughs> and I was learning about him, about his, his creativity and, and about how he, he was always taking care of me, even when he wasn't standing right there. <laughs> you know, eventually, I even began to look forward to the games when I knew he was about to take a trip. <laughs> he actually had to start giving my mom the clues and instructions on where to hide everything after he left, because as soon as he was out the door, my sisters and I would scour the house. Sometimes we would find our first clue before he was even out of the driveway. <laughs> you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. God doesn't want us to search for him just so that we'll find out more information about him. His entire relationship with us is a love story and he, he desires to reveal the deepest part of himself to us. In return, we search for him with all our hearts. Like a marriage, we are designed for intimate relationship with him. In return, he promises to reveal the secret wisdom he has hidden for us in that relationship. God has an eternal, inexhaustible supply of mysteries. Sometimes these mysteries are hidden in creation. Sometimes they're hidden in his word or embedded in everyday life. But he conceals them so we will search and find him. Yeah, there's a lot of great truths packed in that uh, short story there. I, uh, I often quote other people. I actually want to read from my own journal uh, a few thoughts that relate to this. Let me, let me begin with this thought. This is important. I hope you get this. Our great search is for him. We find, when we find him, we find his will. Folks, that, is, that summarizes almost as much as you have to know right there. If you know nothing else, when we find him, we find his will. Great glory, that is splendor, is gained from our search to know and understand what God reveals for us. Great statement. It's really as much about the search as it is about finding the answer. I think you'll understand that more as we begin our teaching. I'm going to now begin the three weeks where we look at the specifics of the type of search we're talking about is for direction in finding his will for us. But likewise, it's, it's really about the search. It's not so much about the decision. The reality of, of how God goes about giving us these answers 
we're going to be discovering through a, a number of questions. And I find that these questions seem to, uh, to be enough. If you take the 10 questions we'll cover this week, next week, and the following, I think you'll find it to be almost like a guideline that makes it fairly simple to discover God's will. But you always have to start with this first one. This first one is the foundation. It's the real issue of all issues. Let me once again read from my journal. Discovery of God's will in life decisions has more to do with motives and obedience than with special revealed insights or newly gained knowledge. Of course, it's important to pray and discern God's will. We hear it all the time. Well, let me pray about it. I often wonder, what exactly do people mean when they say, I'm not really sure, let me, let me pray about it. Are they looking for some kind of new insight, some strange, unusual information or knowledge that's going to some way come to them? I, I don't think that's typically the case. I think often we take way too long praying about issues. We don't really have to pray and pray and pray to discern the direction that we're supposed to go. In fact, follow along with my journal thought. Scripture teaches that the primary purpose of prayer is not for guidance. Did you know that? You don't see much about guidance for prayer. But rather to gain willingness to follow his will. Hmm. Prayer for God's will has more to do with putting one's heart in a condition to accept and obey the will of God as it becomes clear. Once we have the will to do what we think, that's a key word, we don't know, but what we think is best, as a rule, it is common sense and sound reasoning that typically directs us to his will. Now, I'm going to explain that a little bit more at the conclusion, but I want to begin with the first of 10 questions. I'm going to lay it out for you, and, uh, and we'll talk about it just a few minutes and wrap her up. Number one. Am I willing to obey God's will were it to be made perfectly clear to me? Meaning if I found it to be in Scripture, it is perfectly clear. Assuming though we're talking about things that are not in Scripture themselves, here would be the question. What if God would somehow skywrite the answer in the heavenlies and I see exactly what his will is? I know for sure. Here's the big question. Am I really willing to do whatever he tells me, whatever I find? That is the real issue of all issues. I'm going to use a text to help us understand this in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me read them to you. Verse 1, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, it's an interesting words there, that we might prove what the will of God is. To understand that, the word prove, it literally means to put to the test, to find if the thing tested meets the specifications laid down for it. So we're talking, about, we're talking about here the will of God. So here's the question. Is the will of God 
Is it these words that it says in the text? Is it good, acceptable, and perfect? That's what we're really searching for. That's what we want to do is to prove that it really is good, acceptable, and perfect. So he gives us a couple of conditions to figure that out. How do we put it to the test? And here are the ways we do it. Number one, we must present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. So we go back to verse one again. Let's read it one more time. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. And by the way, the mercies of God, mercy refers to God not doing to us what we deserve to have done to us. We deserve nothing good of God if we're sinners fallen from him, but because of his mercy, God not doing what he could and should do in terms of in our wicked condition, he by grace does, God giving us what we don't deserve because of the work of Jesus. So he says, in light of those mercies of God, there's your motivation to do this. Here's what he says to do. He says, present your bodies. Now, the idea of present, it literally is the word to yield or to put at one's disposal. He says, so here's what you do. It's a surrender. We yield. We yield unto God. The next, it says our bodies. Now, wait, what is our bodies? That says our entire being, every part of us, our mind, the way we think, our will, what we determine to do or not to do. Our bodies, what we choose to do with our hands, what we use our eyes to see, what we listen to, what we say with our mouth, where we go with our feet. I mean, every aspect, he says, here's what you do. If you want to prove the will of God, good, acceptable, and, perp- uh, and perfect, here's what you do. You yield to God. You just simply yield to him. He says, you make your life a sacrifice. The other word there, sacrifice. This is a thanksgiving sacrifice. So in other words, we began to think what God has done for us and the fact that he's redeemed us when we don't deserve it. And there's this thanksgiving that we say, how do I, how do I express my gratitude? And he says, you make your life a sacrifice. I love the imagery of an altar. I think of this often. It's like there's an altar built up in front of us. And what we do is we have to climb up that altar. It's not easy to get up there. But that's the place that he wants us to be. And so he says, here's how you prove the will of God in your life, always to be good, acceptable, and perfect. Remember this. It's am I on the altar or not? That's the whole teaching of this thing. Then you come to verse 2, and it gives you a second condition, and it reads like this in verse 2. Must not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And verse 2 says it this way. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is. Don't be conformed. Let me give you the the word conformed. Let's put up the definition of conformed. It says, assuming an outward expression that does not represent the inner heart. How about transformed? Changing an outward expression to agree with one's inner life. Let's go to the word world, see what it says, and then we'll put it together. The thoughts, opinions, hopes, and speculations current in the world, which reflect thoughts contrary to God's. So here's what he's saying. He says, you understand, you get up on that altar, and when you get on the altar, you just stay on the altar. But the only way that you're going to stay on the altar is to be careful with the world. 
the opinions, the thoughts, the belief. You can't embrace that. You've got to go other. And then you say, well, don't be conformed to that world. In other words, don't let your outward mind, your heart, your body, don't let that now embrace and go after the things of this world, the opinions and thoughts and so forth that go against God. Don't do that. In fact, what you want to do is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what does that transform mean? Remember, it says to now let's make sure that your outward is matching the inward. Both those words are literally saying, let your outward and your inward match one another. You see, if you're a seeker here, you need to understand this, that if you become a follower of Jesus, a real child of God, it's not because you say, okay, I'm going to start following Jesus. I'm going to be better now and I'm going to do God stuff. No, it's God doing something to us. What does he do? He redeems us. He purchases us. How does he purchase us? By the cross, by the work he does on Calvary's cross. As we come into a love relationship with him and are what's called born again, he gives us a new heart, the scripture says. A new heart says we have a new inner being. It's a new nature, actually. And he say, now that you've got a new nature, don't let that new nature conform to this world. No, your new nature is other now. Don't let, rather, let it be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you now go to the truth, the opinions, the speculations that are Godward, not worldly. That's, that's basically what he's saying. It's another way of saying, okay, once you get on the altar, if you're going to stay on there, this is what you have to do. Not get conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you stay up on that altar. Now, if I summarize it and put it all together, here's the basic teaching of this first point. If you want to know that whatever decision you make is definitely in the will of God, you really don't ask, what decision did I make to determine if you have made a decision in the will of God? Now, this is assuming it's not in Scripture. Here is the real question. Where were you when you made the decision to do whatever you decided to do? Were you on the altar? Or did you make the decision off the altar? Whenever I hear someone say, well, I prayed and I discerned and I did all the things that I thought were right to do, they can follow the, the list of the 10 questions. Then they say, I think I missed the will of God. They, you missed the will of God? What do you mean you missed the will of God? Now, what I mean is, it didn't go right. You say, no, 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 no. Where were you when you made that decision? Were you yielded to God? Were you on the altar, willing to do whatever God would have you to do, and you made a decision as best you know how? Oh, yeah, I did that. But I missed it. Why? Because it didn't go well. I said, friend, you've missed the understanding of God's will. And that's why I labored in the early weeks to talk about the fact that God's ways are challenging. They're difficult. They're painful often. And we explained why that's the case. The fact that the Bible teaches it's the case. By the fact that the Apostle Paul modeled the fact that when he went straight into the will of God, he went into persecution and challenge and pain and heartache, and he never said, oh, I missed the will of God. No, not at all. 
No, you know you're in the will of God because you know where you were when you made the decision. That's the real issue. So again, if you miss everything else, please know that. It's being on the altar. Ask yourself the question, were I to know for sure exactly by what God says, skywriting if it takes it, but I know that's what God wants me to do, would you do it? And if that's your heart and you don't know which to do and you make a decision, you have just made a decision that's in the will of God. I think you can say that is scripturally true. Now I'm going to give you some other ways to help you really discern what's wise, what's appropriate and logical and so forth. Remember, it's not new insights of knowledge and, and revelations and all. It's going to be figuring out, well, how do I discern you know, what I should do here? And we'll walk through that little pathway, 10 questions, nine more coming, and I think then you'll have a great little handle on how to do it. I had somebody come up to me uh, right as we began the series, and I mentioned then that I did this series a little different now, but 10 years ago, same subject matter, and uh, I had the 10 questions that I used. And they said, I've carried this in my Bible for 10 years, and this has been the greatest aid. I just walked through these 10 questions. And when you finish the 10 questions, you'll be able to say, I have great confidence. I've done what is the will of God. Now, in closing, know this. You and I can get up on the altar because Jesus went to the altar for us. Got to understand that. Because he went to the altar on our behalf, we have the moral ability to get up on the altar. You can't do that. There's no way you could do that if Jesus had not gone to the altar for you. I couldn't do it without him going to the altar for me. When we get up on the altar, we have power. That's what it means to be surrendered unto him. And we acknowledge his truth. That gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the reality is everything tracks back to what Jesus has done for us. It's not what, oh man, look, I, I made the right decision. I'm following God. No, we get up on the altar because he went on the altar for us. That's the good news of the gospel. So my prayer is that next two weeks come. I know we've got a holiday coming up and we're going to carry the series through the holiday. I hope if you have to be out of town that you'll pick it up on podcast or CD or whatever and make sure that you follow with us because uh, we're going to cover some very important things next week and then we'll close it out the following week. Let's pray together as we bow. Our Father, as we now are about to give our gifts to you and close this time together, I pray that you would allow us to be able to hear your voice even now as you would say to us, just be on the altar. And I pray, Father, that right now some of us who are not even yours would find a unique ability to get on the altar and when we get there know that it's because you have first gone on the altar for us. I pray, Father, there'd be people now that come to know you, that would fall in love with you this very, very day and not even understand exactly how did it happen that I would be in love now with you and we'll give you all the credit. I pray for those of us that have been crawling down from that altar and right now we're, we're wrestling and not willing to even do the things we know you've called us to do. Stick to a marriage. God, help us if we're here today and we're fighting in a marriage and, and contemplating leaving it in a wrong sense. I pray God calls us to get up on the altar. 
Father, for those of us who are saying, I won't use my time. I know I'm not going to use my time to honor you. I'm not going to spend time in your word. I'm not. God, would you break our hearts now and enable us to get up on the altar even now? I pray for those of us among us that are saying the possessions, they're mine. I can't give them to you. I can't even give a portion to you. I pray even now that you would enable those of us that are struggling there to crawl up on the altar and be able to make not only our gifts to you, but our whole life a living and holy sacrifice. So we're going to invite you to do that now. We'll give our gifts to you, and we'll say thank you for your great mercies. We are appreciative, and we pray in the great name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.